is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. You can expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about friendship. What's the best way to make friends? Is there a secret to small talk? How quickly can you judge someone's personality? Don't they say never judge a book by its cover? Let's find out. Richard, can I say Happy New Year? And to you. Any New Year's resolutions? Uh, None at all. I always think it's best to make no resolutions because then you can't fail. That's always my approach. But as we're learning, failure is good because it gives you the opportunity to blah, 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 blah. Right? (laughs) So it is New Year. And traditionally, the idea of New Year, New You, people start to reflect on their lives and so on. And friendship is absolutely core to our lives, as we're going to be talking about today. And so people might want to think about how they extend the reach of their friendships and the the depth of them. It's always a, a good thing to be doing. What I will say is that there's nothing special about the new year. You, you can make these changes at any point in your life. You shouldn't put pressure on yourself just because it's January to think, oh my goodness, I'm going to rethink uh, my entire life. But it's, it's quite a fun time to think, okay, uh, what do I need to do? And I think today we've got some top tips on the psychology of friendship. Right. So people are going to be doing veganuary, dry January, yes. probably something else annuary, and uh, we're making a plea for get in touch with your friends annually. Yeah, I mean, connecting, being part of a community, building your team around you and supporting other people. I think those are all very admirable changes. You know, we talk about other New Year's resolutions and this one doesn't come up very often, but actually I think it's absolutely key. What makes someone likeable in the first place? Because we've got a question sent in from Tom about just this. He says... Why can some politicians, not mentioning any names, do the most abhorrent things and yet people still like them? What is it that makes some people inherently more likeable than others? Oh, my goodness. Huge question. Huge question. So being social often means I enjoy being with others. Being likeable is others enjoy being with me. Two different things entirely. And likability is really, really important in pretty much every sphere of life. It isn't just politics, but in everyday life as well. And that's because you build up a social network. It means that when things aren't so good in your life, you've got people to to help you. It means you've got opportunities because you're chatting with people and they say, oh, I know somebody who could help you and, and, and so on. So it's that whole networking thing going on. And it predicts longevity, it predicts physical health, it predicts mental health. Really important skill. Important question is how you get hold of that skill. And I've spoken about this many, many times before. The reason I got into psychology is because of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it was more of the first part than the second, actually, that uh, attracted me. And Carnegie's got this really, really profoundly simple but powerful idea. We love talking about ourselves It's like a little dopamine hit on the brain. And there's been lots of experiments showing that people just really enjoy talking about themselves, telling other people their opinion. Problem is, as recipients of that, we're not quite so keen on hearing about other people. So Carnegie's idea was so simple, which is simply develop a genuine interest in other people. And he put a great deal of emphasis on a word that's often missed out when when people talk about Carnegie's work, which is that genuine bit. That don't fake it. Don't just ask people for details. You're not really listening to the answer and so on. But can you, can you fake it till you make it? Well, I'm not certain. I, I think it's better to think everybody you meet, 
has got a life that will be interesting to you in some way or another. There's something to learn from everyone. And it's your job to find out what that thing is. And that means that it would, would generate a genuine interest. And I think we can smell authenticity, to be mm. honest. So his idea was, instead of thinking about yourself, he had this, this beautiful phrase that you'll make more friends in 10 minutes by being genuinely interested in somebody else than 10 years of trying to get them interested in you. And we say it, and it's been said for many, many years, but actually it's probably the single most important bit of social psychology out there. That's part of it. The other part, in terms of politicians, which is slightly different psychology, is the psychology of charisma, which I've done some research into. Lots of people have, have looked at it. And there, often, it's not quite likability. It's what makes a politician charismatic. And part of that is the ability to, quotes infect other people with the emotion that you're feeling. So some people are really good senders of their emotions. Is this the JFK effect? This is the JFK effect, that when you feel passionate about something, you can send your emotion and you can, you can induce that passion in other people. I mean, I've, I've spoken to people who were there when JFK gave the famous We're Going to the Moon speech at Rice University. And they said, as, as young people sitting in that audience, you walked away and there was just no question in your mind. You just wanted to be part of helping America get to the moon because JFK, in front of all these thousands of people, just felt like he was talking to you and the passion and that enormous sense of vision was now in your head. And it's such a sticky idea that, of course, that's what you would devote your life to. So some people very good senders and other people vary, like everything else, on how easily affected they are. So some people are sort of emotional islands. It doesn't really matter how passionate other people are. They don't catch that emotion. And other people very kind of open to the emotion that, that people send. Okay. The other thing, and get back to Carnegie, is his other several rules, but one of them is when you're wrong, quickly say, you know what? I made a mistake. It's a really difficult thing to do. And particularly nowadays where this kind of culture of blaming everyone else, covering everything up, is really refreshing to hear somebody go, you know what? Made a mistake. Really sorry. So I think, I mean, that's a, it's a Carnegie idea. Again, it's really, really powerful just to go, we all make mistakes. Does that help make friends? Yeah, because I think it's the trust thing. You think if this is somebody who's not going to blame others, they're going to take it and they're going to go, yep, I made a mistake and this is what I'm going to do to, to rectify it. It's related to the, the Prattfall effect, which is an idea of Elliot Aronson, very famous social psychologist, University of California. He did some work early on where you're listening to an audio tape of a student doing a general knowledge quiz and they're doing pretty well. Uh, they're getting 90% correct. So two groups of people, as psychologists love, uh, they both listen to that tape. One of the groups then hears the student, who's doing very well, seems to know lots of the answers to all the questions, knock a cup of coffee over themselves and versus the other group who don't hear that mistake. And it turns out that when you hear that mistake, you like the person even more because now they're human. You can imagine that happening to you. And they say, oh, my goodness, that was a terrible mistake, and they, they carry on. So I think when we make mistakes, often we think, oh, my goodness, this is an absolute disaster. But admitting it quickly and also actually it reminds you that you're human. And so it, it's quite a fun thing to do. Talking of fun things to do, is there a playbook for how to make friends? Well, that's what the Carnegie book is, is all it's, about. It's that. It's Dale Carnegie's book. Uh, unfortunately, it, it does pain me to recommend another self-help <laughs> author, but uh, it, it's extremely good. Uh, there, I think there's all sorts of things. We've spoken about charisma. We've spoken about uh, making mistakes. We've spoken about the pratfall effect. There's also work on gossip. 
from Ohio University. And there they're interested in the impact of gossiping about other people. Now, this is something I would never do. My friends know that I never gossip about others. You just have some really interesting stories. That's right, which may or may not be true. Totally different. Absolutely. Uh, What's interesting about gossip is what's called the spontaneous trait transference effect, which is when you hear somebody saying something negative about another person, you associate those negative traits with the person telling you. No. So if you gossip about somebody else, say this person's terrible and whatever it is. Untrustworthy, always always late for meetings. Exactly. Then all those things become associated with you in the mind of the listener. And the reverse is true. You praise other people and those positive traits become associated with you. Oh, interesting. So I could, in a Machiavellian way, just praise loads of people. Well, again, you see, it comes down to authenticity. I think you've got to believe it. Okay. I think if, it, if people go, hold on a second, uh, everybody in your world seems to be hero and amazing and angelic. Then, 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 but I think when you see something in somebody else, you think, oh, that's really, really great trait. Genuinely saying it, as I say, that those traits become associated with you. So it's a very good reason not to be saying negative things about other people all the time, like I do. <laughs> he doesn't. He's very charming. So another effect is the mere exposure effect, which is, as you see, whatever it is, a person or um, something again and again and again, up to a point, that familiarity means that you actually like them more. So there's been some research where they've sent uh, people into university lectures, they've just sat there, and then the other students in the lecture will rate that person as more likeable just because they've seen them quite a lot. Okay. And when I was a student, I was was always told this story, which I'm sure is apocryphal, which is a student who read that and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll constantly remind my girlfriend of myself by constantly writing them letters every day. And then the girlfriend ended up marrying the postman. (laughs) <laughs> so that was always the that classic sort of the old social psychology joke that we used to uh, to have. And as you can imagine, those lectures used to just whiz by. So all of these things, I'm not a fan of sort of faking it. I think it is about sort of genuinely being interested in others and saying what you like and so on. Okay. There's also the notion of judging people quite quickly. And I know throughout the whole podcast, we've been doing little experiments and you have been bucking the trend of uh, 100 years I've been or more of psychology. Failing. I've been failing. You've not been failing. You've just been exposing some of the uh, issues with the uh, I've experiments. Been, I've been showing that people are all different and some of them don't go along with... Yes, go on. Exactly. So Anthony Little, uh, University of Stirling, he does work where he merges pictures of people's faces in order to find out average faces. Okay. And this work is what's carried out all, all over the world. But with his work, what he's done, it's great work, is that he'll measure, for example, how friendly somebody is. You have two groups of people, you have friendly people and unfriendly people, and they'll merge those two faces. Or he's got trustworthy people and people not to try. Merge those faces, come okay. up with some averages. You're going to show me pictures I'm of faces, aren't you? I'm going to show you some pictures, you? yes. So we've got A or B here. The top one there, mm-hmm. you're looking at two faces... One of them is a merge of friendly people and the other is a merge of unfriendly people. Okay. So the question is, using your intuition, they've walked into a room and you look across the room, you see those two faces. Which one, A or B, do you think is the friendly face? A. Okay. Underneath that, I don't know what the trait is. Is it reliability? Reliability. Right, okay, interesting one. So A or B, they walk into the room, you're looking for a reliable person. Which would you go with? B. Okay. And the last one, is it trust? Most outgoing. Oh, outgoing. Okay. 
outgoing? I'd go A. Right. Very, very interesting. So I should say that these pairs of pictures, they look kind of like the same person, but there are subtle differences, but I can't quite put my finger on what they are. It's yeah. Things like, I don't know, the, the kind of width of the face, maybe. One of them's got eyes a bit more open than the other, but they're very similar. There's not much yes. in it. So, in, in fact, it's actually quite an intuitive decision because they are very, very similar. So rather than sort of rationalising, you've just gone with what feels like the right decision. And I can tell you that you have done well. Oh, good. In the sense that you've got two out of three, correct? So uh, the first one, uh, friendliness, it is A. It is A, brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, second one, which was reliability. Yep. Uh, you got wrong. Oh. It's A again. And oh. the third one, which was... Um, Outgoing. A, again. So that's the one you went with. So the answer is A in each instance, and you got two out of three correct. So this is about first impressions, mm. and some people have got friendly faces. Oh, is this the flip side of resting bitch face? I have no idea, because I've never heard that phrase. You've never heard of resting bitch face? No. You should do some research into this. Right. Immediate, well, not immediately, because uh, I want you to carry on talking to me, but resting bitch face is this idea that when your face is at rest... It just forms itself into some sort of cross expression. Right. And one of my friends and my mother both say that they've got, I mean, my mother wouldn't use that word, but essentially it's resting bitch face. Oh, so that that wouldn't be a particularly attractive trait in somebody. It can be very useful if you're in a situation where somebody else is is looking to win your approval or they're trying to gauge your satisfaction with an offer that they're making to you. Okay, all right. if your natural face is just a little bit disappointed and cross, then, yeah. But but in terms of... Friendship here, we tend to like people that we trust, they're reliable, outgoing, friendly and so on. And it's surprising how quickly people make those decisions and also how accurate those decisions are. So again, this gets back to intuition and, and what's called thin slicing, that often we can make decisions very quickly and some of the time in this instance, those decisions can be quite accurate. So these faces in this test, they're composite. Yes. And are they composites of groups that of photos that have been judged to be trustworthy or These are self-related. self-related. Okay. So these people are saying, I'm uh, friendly or I'm reliable or, or whatever. And what's interesting is that you're agreeing with those self-ratings. Wow. So uh, it's all part of this, this friendship and who you talk to. The other issue, which psychologists have struggled with, certainly on a personal front, if not <laughs> professionally, uh, is the psychology of small talk. There's a lot of debate around this because some people think, oh, the way forward... Is, is small talk, and others will argue, no, 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 you should you should ask, have meaningful conversations as, as much as you can. And I don't know, you, do you struggle with small talk? I genuinely really like talking about the weather. <laughs> so, so no, but, right. uh, you know, I think you can still have meaningful small talk. Well, some of the work around this is a little bit like the gossip work. You shouldn't say anything negative. So if somebody asks you about a favourite book or books in general, books you're reading, you shouldn't say, oh, I hated that book. Mm. If they ask about your favourite food, you shouldn't say, oh, I hated this restaurant, I hated this type of food. You should always keep it positive. Is that what you do in your small talk? I didn't do small talk. You don't? I don't do talk. You do talk. Not really. You, you go straight in for something interesting, though. Well, yeah, that's something I find interesting. I mean, as we've established, that's not the weather. <laughs> it's not the weather. And you're wrong. It's actually fascinating. Well, actually, there is some top, uh, small talk here for the weather. Did you order this beautiful weather? Oh. Is that a good one or is that no, a bad so that's one? That's a great one. Really? It's borderline creepy. It, it, I, I thought it felt a bit creepy. It's a bit like 
I'd be more likely to take that from an American. I don't know why. You know, someone who's just chipper and positive. Yes. Whereas British people... My favourite one here on the list of small talk topics... Are there any podcasts you're listening to at the moment? Oh, that's a great topic. That's a great topic. I can't imagine what podcast you could recommend. <clears throat> I recommend subscribing and liking Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Oh, what a great idea. This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, and in this episode, we're talking about friendship. We've had a question about long-distance friendships from Emma. Take a listen. I live far from all my friends and family, so I think the idea of long-distance friendships is quite interesting, and sometimes it feels like kind of out of sight, out of mind, so trying to like maintain that and keep that energy up when you go years at a time without seeing someone. Well, I think the times are changing with social media, is the the obvious answer. So you can keep in touch with people constantly on various sort of platforms – And, I mean, that's what I tend to do. I'm kind of online a lot. These kind of micro-exchanges about what you're up to build up over time. And so before social media, people were doing that face-to-face, local communities. Now we can do it, you know, across the world. But I think there's no harm in that. And it all builds a kind of daily picture of of what someone is up to. If you're someone who doesn't make much effort to keep in touch with friends because you think about them sometimes every day, but you actually haven't got in touch and told them that for years. Mm. Uh, like, at what point do they stop being your friend? I, I would argue for keeping in contact. It asking asking, it for, asking much, for a friend. It doesn't take much effort. It's just, yeah, so I moved to Amsterdam for seven years. It was six months that got out of hand. But it was just, you know, I was thinking about people. Yeah. And, and you decided to enough. let them know by not getting in contact with <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. The other option would be to get in contact with them and let them know, not to depend on telepathy, which, as we've shown in other episodes, may not be the most reliable form of communication. Moving on, uh, there's a difference between knowing lots of people and having friends. Arguably, as you've just established, one of those differences is actually contacting them. Yes. Listener Olive has a question about this. She says, my mum is the queen of networking. She can fill a party with 200 people But despite this, when she's having a tough time, she feels she doesn't actually have a close friend that she can talk to. How do you turn the superficial friendships into deeper relationships? Yeah, so it is a classic thing, isn't it? It's it's quality and quantity. So some people have huge networks and it's a hearing there and not very much depth. Some people have just a few very, very close friends and lots of depth. And it's related to loneliness, which, as we know, kind of growing in society. And it's a major problem. It affects physical and and mental health. So it is important to have those friendships. There's Uh, a guy called Robin Dunbar, Professor mm. Robin Dunbar at Oxford, who said that we've got, uh, he came up with Dunbar's number, which is 150 people, which is, he says, the maximum number of people that you can maintain a friendship with. It sounds like quite a lot to me. Well, so here's the thing is, he's got this... Like a bullseye, really. And so you've got your big circle of 150 people, but within that you've got smaller rings. And then within your core group is about six people who are probably the people that you would call up if you, I don't know, had a big crisis and you needed to talk to someone. Yeah, the the one I've always heard is, you know, it's the middle of the night, it's whatever it is, 4am in the morning, something happens, you need to call somebody, who would you call? That's a pretty good sort of behavioural definition. 
And and so I think you, it's nice to get a balance of both. The, the question is about how you move from superficial to deeper. And I think the answer is in the, the small talk, moving gradually across. Now, some people like that leap instantly to much more meaningful conversations. That's a, something that's happening within social psychology is that psychologists have assumed it should be this gradual thing and are finding out that some people want to jump straight in and have quite deep conversations. But I think it is that gradual movement and it's a really important movement. What you don't want is you no know, vast numbers of people and haven't got anyone to call at 4am in the morning. So yeah, loneliness is a serious old topic. So although we're having fun with friendship, again, we should remind ourselves that if people are struggling, there's help out there, there's support out there. And these are ideas that everyone can use on a sort of everyday basis. Well, you mentioned loneliness and Pam, who volunteers with a community group that works to reduce loneliness and isolation for older people, says loneliness seems to be a growing problem for older people in our community. I'm aware of the impact this has on people's mental health, but I'm increasingly seeing an increase in physical health problems too that I'm sure are related is there any research that backs up my suspicions? Yeah, I'm, I, the answer is I'm not certain. I would be surprised if there isn't. And in fact, actually, when we're talking to um, our pal Adrian Owen, Adrian was talking about brain health and he went back to sociability being so important. So, yeah, my guess would be that if you start to do things with other people, uh, some of that's going to involve physical activity and also you're keeping yourself mentally alert. People socialising, friendship is actually very demanding for the brain. But it is what we're really good at. We are a social animal. I think it's absolutely key to longevity and good physical and mental health. Can we unpick that? Because the sociability, I hadn't thought about that properly until recently, but actually going to something like a drinks party does involve a lot of work for your brain, mm. in kind of in the same way that a crossword does. Right. So you've You've got to remember who someone is, Yes, which is a problem for me. So you've got to remember the context in which you know people, their face and their name. You've got to kind of adjust the level of conversation according to the situation. Yes. Maybe add some humour, sort of drag out some anecdotes, try and make yourself more interesting than you actually are. There's, there's, a, <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on there. And the, and the key thing, which we do without thinking, which is so phenomenal, is imagine how the the world looks from their perspective. We have to put ourselves in their shoes. We have to be empathic to how they're thinking and how they're feeling. And that is a vast amount of brain processing. We haven't got a computer that can do that. So yeah, it's a really good workout for the brain, just going out and chatting with people. And we shouldn't forget that. And so friendship underlies pretty much everything. And it's interesting, it's the, the kind of final topic of this season. So it's, it's absolutely key one. So, yeah, so in terms of what we have learnt, we're looking at the importance of being genuinely interested in uh, other people, the importance of admitting when you're wrong, not being too worried about making a mistake. Often it can make people like you more. When you gossip, make certain it's positive because those negative gossips are going to be coming, reflecting back onto you. If you can be charismatic, if you can affect other people with your, your passion, energy, that's a great thing. And also the science of small talk, the idea of trying to keep it positive again. So all of that, just on that one word of friendship. So if you're interested in keeping yourself and your, your spirits up and your physical and mental well-being in tip-top condition, maybe get in contact with those people that you've, yeah, you've like, let slide. Yeah, like-minded people, people you've met over time and, and get in contact. episodes. Amazing. A huge thank you to all of our wonderful listeners for all of our wonderful questions. For me, the, the key message that runs through it all is just about change, is about plasticity. 
the fact that our brain, the one thing our brains are really good at is changing. Change. I spoke to somebody who's a playwright and they said that characters only become interesting when they change. And I think that's true of people. That wherever you are, I think you have potential to grow and to develop. And it doesn't mean that that's unbounded, that you can do anything you want in life, but it does mean that we can all probably be a bit bigger, a bit better than we are. And the question is how you get there. And the problem is there's lots of bad advice out there and then people try that, it doesn't work, they become fatalistic and so on. So hopefully there's some, some thoughts in there, but what underpins it all is we've all got that astonishing ability to grow and to develop. Does that mean I can still win Wimbledon? It depends how you define Wimbledon. <laughs> we all have the most astonishing object in the entire universe between our ears, you know, the human brain. And that 150 years of psychology hasn't even scratched the surface of what we can do. And I think what we've been celebrating is the work that has looked forward, that does say to people, here's some ideas, here's some hints, here's some tips, see what happens. And, and what greater honour can you have than to try and improve and change someone's life? My favourite episodes have been some of the ones that deal with subjects that I'm quite sceptical about. Mm -hmm. And I'd say went into them being quite dismissive because this is all nonsense, you know, paranormal, there aren't ghosts, blah, blah, blah. And you said on several occasions, if you're dismissive, you ignore the element of this phenomenon that is what we're creating in our heads. And that tells us about how we think. Uh, so you said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And, and I think... And I admit I was wrong. Well, no, no, no. I, I've done that many times myself. I, I think the open-mindedness of encouraging people to look at things from someone else's perspective, from a new perspective, from a perspective that maybe they don't agree with, it's just good for you. And it kind of makes life far more interesting. If you just shut debate down and go, well, that's not my belief system or I don't think that, well, fine, but we've got to live in the same world. So be open and look at things in a new way because maybe things will change. Maybe you will change. Maybe you're wrong and that other people are right. And I think we live in a, a world where we just want to be right and to show that we're right on social media and, and to win arguments. That's what's really important versus a kind of openness of saying, you know what, I don't know. And maybe things will be different in the future. It's been lots of fun and will continue to be fun. Podomo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at wisemanpod at podomo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>